Please join me in prayer as we ask God to illuminate our hearts and our minds through his word. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. Listen to God's word for us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading comes from the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel, the end of the gospel, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, there is the place they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. I sympathize, I sympathize with the monks, I really do. 
I sympathize with the monks who simply could not believe that Mark ended his gospel in such a completely unsatisfying way. I can understand how, given their job of copying Mark's gospel for future generations, they decided to take matters into their own hands and add an ending or two to clean things up a bit. If you were to open your Bibles right now to the end of Mark, you would see that in addition to today's ending, there are two alternate endings entitled, appropriately, the longer and shorter endings of Mark. Scholars agree these were added on by future generations to finish and complete Mark's account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And who can blame them, really? Did you catch the original ending of Mark's gospel? So they went out and fled, fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. Why? Because they were afraid. That's it. Did the disciples end up telling the story to other people? Possibly. Did they ever encounter Jesus again on the road? Maybe. Did they ever overcome their fear? We just don't know. While the other gospel accounts written after Mark do answer these questions, if Mark was all you had, which was true for his original audience, if Mark is all that you had, then one has to wonder what in the world was Mark thinking? Instead of providing closure to his followers, the followers of Jesus, Mark leaves the readers wondering, what on earth happens now? So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. Or is it? Preacher Fred Craddock knew of a church that had a beautifully decorated sanctuary on Easter morning. The church's display was so amazing, it was the pride of the entire town. The highlight of their decoration was 500 lilies in the chancel. To give you some context, we have about 50. Sometimes the display was a mass of lilies overwhelming the senses. Other times the lilies were placed thoughtfully in the shape of a cross meant to inspire. Regardless, every single year, people, people like you, would give $5 to help the church pay for the lilies and then give the gift in honor of someone they loved. It was a great tradition, a wonderful way to celebrate Christ's resurrection year after year. In the 16th year of the beloved tradition, however, everything fell apart. It began when one of the members of the congregation went up after the Easter service and said to one of the ushers cleaning up after the service, Excuse me, I'm going to the hospital to visit a friend. Could I take one of the lilies and give it to her? The usher awkwardly fumbled for an answer, which in church life means yes. So she went up to the cross and grabbed a lily. 
And when she did, she shrieked in horror and shouted for all to hear, They're plastic! I know! Well, there was, as you can imagine, much concern over this, as there would be and should be. So much concern that committees were formed. Some were official, some met in the parking lot. One group eventually calculated how much money had been given over the years to purchase the original set of plastic lilies. The total? A staggering $37,000 for lilies. As would happen, the minister gathered together the concerned congregation and tried to defend, <laughs> defend the practice of plastic lilies on Easter. They were, he argued, carefully stored and covered, I promise. And they had lasted for all these years, and they're beautiful. No one could deny that, and as an added bonus, they don't smell. The pastor ensured the congregation the money was handled well, too. The money was placed in a special fund to help people in need. There was some reluctant acceptance to this logic. But then the pastor made an argument that doomed the tradition forever. When you think about it, he said, plastic lilies really are quite appropriate for Easter because they always bloom. Plastic lilies never die. The people were not convinced by this line of reasoning, and I don't think you would be either. By the way, they're real. Plastic lilies just won't do on Easter because the resurrection of Christ is more than something that happened long ago that we commemorate with a token. Easter is something real and tangible, like a plant that lives and blooms and dies only to bloom again. Easter is something experienced in the here and the now. It isn't a denial of death, it's a conquering of it. Easter is an invitation to see our lives and the lives of other people in a whole new way. In the short story, Wait and See, the main character, Lyle, has tetrachromacy, which means he can see more colors than most people can. In fact, he can see millions of more colors. People keep telling Lyle that he has a gift, but that's not his experience. Seeing everything in full color to him feels more like a burden than a blessing. As the story reaches its conclusion, Lyle receives a gift from his stepfather, an optometrist who creates special glasses that normalize Kyle's vision. After living a while with the glasses on and then a while with the glasses off, Kyle puts his glasses on one last time, this time for good. He will never take them off again, he declares. He will live in this world as an ordinary person. It's just too much to see the world in all its color. What if the choice before us this Easter and every Easter is that simple? To see life in its fullness or to see it through lenses that limit our vision, that make life ordinary. Another way to frame it is that on Easter we are presented a choice to either see the, resurre the resurrection as something that happened a long time ago, 
or to live as if it actually is something that can happen today. Is Easter a story we recall or a truth we embrace? A reality that adds color and complexity and hope to our ordinary lives. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. Or is it? What if Mark, right here, in this incomplete ending, is inviting us, the followers of Christ today, to see life in all its color? What if in this unsatisfactory conclusion, Mark is inviting us to pick up the story right where it left off? What if he's inviting us to complete the gospel story by telling our stories of God's resurrection power? After all, the story of what God is doing in and through Jesus isn't over at the empty tomb. It's only getting started. The resurrection really isn't an ending. It's a beginning. In fact, one could argue the entire gospel of Mark is just a prologue to a never-ending story of God's activity in the world. Christ is risen is more than a historical affirmation. It's a theological claim about how God works. Every dead end, every loss, every failure, every stumble, they are all opportunities for God to act, redeem, reconcile, and restore. Story ends, and by God's resurrection power, a new one begins. An addiction destroys everything. And by God's resurrection power, new life is somehow found. A toxic narrative takes root in a family or in a person. And by God's resurrection power, a new story is written and heard. A war ravages a country. And by God's resurrection power, people rebuild from the ashes. A virus kills millions of people. And by God's resurrection power, the world unites in fighting it. A church nears its end. And by God's resurrection power, a new chapter begins. I'm convinced. It's why I'm still in ministry 21 years later. I am convinced God is always and forever resurrecting hope and life and possibility. We just don't often have the courage to see it, to see life in full color. But when we do, when we let our eyes see the world as it is with God in it, when we are willing to see God's resurrection power in our life, we continue the greatest story ever told. Mark's narrative is incomplete because the story never ends. The Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama is an institution committed to telling the truth about our nation's racial history and the possibility, the real possibility for reconciliation that leads to real solutions to contemporary problems. Built on a site where enslaved people were once warehoused, the museum is a testimony to God's resurrection power. Lawyer and advocate Brian Stevenson is the founder and executive director of Equal Justice Initiative, the organization that runs the Legacy Museum in Montgomery. One of the exhibits at the museum is a room, a room, a large room full of glass jars. Each jar has a name on it of a lynching victim, 
and in each jar is dirt from the location where the lynching happened. It's a powerful, powerful space, a sacred space. When Brian talks about the museum's work in podcasts or interviews, he often tells the story about one volunteer's experience collecting some dirt for that exhibit. This particular volunteer was a middle-aged black woman. The location where she needed to collect dirt from was on a remote road in rural Alabama, in the middle of nowhere. So she was already a little bit nervous when she pulled over her car, stepped out, and got down on her knees to start digging. At that moment, a large pickup truck drove by, slowed down, and then kept on going. This raised her anxiety a bit, but she kept on digging. A few moments later, the truck, the same truck, drove by again, this time a little bit slower. Inside the truck, a white man was staring at her as he passed her by. The truck returned for a third time, and this time pulled over. The man stepped out of the truck and started walking towards her. She took a deep breath. The man looked at her and said, what are you doing? Her response surprised her, she later recounted, given the anxiety she was feeling in that moment. Instead of saying, I'm getting dirt for my garden, which is what volunteers were taught to say if they were uncomfortable, something got a hold of her that day and she told the man the truth. I'm digging up this soil because this is where a black man got lynched in 1937 and I'm going to honor his life today. The man just stood there. The paper that described the lynching was on the ground next to her, and the man asked, does that paper talk about it? Would it be all right if I read it? Yes, of course, she said. She dug while the man read. When he finished reading, he put the paper back down and then surprised her by asking, excuse me, but it would it be okay if I helped you dig? Yeah, please. The man got down on his knees. She offered him the shovel, but he said, no, I'll just, I'll just use my hands. And the man, that man started throwing his hands into the soil and putting the soil in the jar with such conviction, such focus, that the woman, she started to cry. When the man saw this, he said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm upsetting you. She said, no, you are blessing me. They both kept digging and filling up the jar. When they finished, she saw a tear running down his face. She put a hand on his shoulder and asked him if it was all right, if he was all right. No, he said, I'm not all right. I'm just so worried that it might have been my grandfather that helped lynch this man. And they just sat there on the roadside, weeping together. After a few minutes, they both asked to take photos of each other, holding the jar of dirt. And then the man asked her, would it be okay if I followed you back to the museum to see the jar put in its proper place? And she said, yes. There will always be people who will say the resurrection happened only once. There will always be preachers who tell you the end is near. There will always be pundits who declare society's on a precipice, oh no. There will always be people who say we are doomed. They are all wrong. Hope is real. 
Love has won. Life, it's conquered death. Resurrection power is available here and now to us. For every story of despair, there are hundreds of stories of resurrection. For every act of cruelty, there are countless, countless acts of compassion. For every day, ordinary people roll away stones, rise up from the grave, and stare down death. This, this story, your story, God's story, Christ's story, this is the story we have to tell. This is the story that defines all of our lives. This is the story that reveals the truth. Christ is risen. Christ has risen indeed. And his story is not coming to an end. It has only just begun. Hallelujah. And amen.